you got a Bible, Hebrews chapter 10. We're going to start there. We're going to eventually get to Hebrews 11 today, but we're going to start in Hebrews 10. But before we get there, a couple things I need to mention. First of all, on a very positive note, today is Bubba Spence's birthday, and so I wanted to tell him happy birthday from the pulpit. 86 years young. It's a happy birthday, Bubba Spence. Well, I hope you have a good day today. He made the first service today. He got up early, was excited about his birthday, I guess, and just wanted to come hear the preacher. So <laughs> this, this week on the, in the news, I happened to read a story about um, the Supreme Court making a decision um, to allow a cross to actually remain this time um, up in Maryland, I believe it was. I think it was called the Bladensburg Cross. It was a World War I memorial. Um, and that got me thinking. Um, as I thought through, was thinking through my message for today, uh, you know, just the fact that there was a lawsuit about a cross on a World War I memorial seemed kind of ridiculous. Why? How is that offensive? But I got to thinking and looking back through um, the news over the past several years of the instances in which um, it seems like there was hostility toward Christians, toward um, people, people who follow Christ toward churches. And I, I just want to read you the examples that I found of times in which the church came under the attack or in which individual believers came under attack. These were some of the headlines I found. I found examples of Christian groups who were kicked off of college campuses because they actually believed what Christians believed. I found examples of Christian universities which received threats of losing their accreditation um, for actually teaching Orthodox Christian doctrine. I found a story about a New Jersey teacher who was fired for giving a student a Bible, a local nurse who was fired for praying with her patients, a Seattle football coach who was placed on leave because he offered up prayers after football games with his team, which he had done for years. I found a story about a Florida ministry to the poor that gave food to the poor uh, that was told by the government that in order to keep receiving government funds, they had to remove every trace of Christianity from their facility. Crosses, Bibles, Ten Commandments, all that kind of stuff had to go. Um, you've probably heard about the story of the Colorado baker who's still facing legal trouble uh, simply because he refused to bake a cake for a gay couple because he believed it went against his religious beliefs, which I agree with. And I found other similar stories of bakers and florists who are under the same type of pressure. A University of Toledo professor who was fired for his stance on homosexual marriage. I found stories about members of our military who faced reprimand and even court-martial because of their belief against homosexuality. I found a story about a Marine who was court-martialed for posting a Bible verse above her desk. A fire chief in Atlanta who was fired for self-publishing a book defending Christian morality. Adoption agencies, crisis pregnancy centers who regularly are coming under attack because of their faith and because of their policies because they only place families with married couples who are Christian. I found stories of Christians who were in politics who were basically told there was no place for their religious beliefs in the government. As I read all these things, and I could list even more and more and more of these things, what I got, I had this, this overwhelming sense, this overwhelming feeling come over me uh, that there is a growing number of people in our country who simply do not want us here. They, they think we're old-fashioned. Uh, we're living by an outdated book. We are bigoted. We are backwards. We are judgmental. Now, this is why I, I start this sermon like this today, um, because that was almost exactly the context under which the author of Hebrews wrote Hebrews chapter 11. 
the people he was writing to were suffering persecution. They were suffering hatred. They were suffering hostility. And he turns to this group of people and he writes to them about their need for faith. Faith which would produce perseverance. Look in Hebrews 10 verse 32. It says, But recall the former days when after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings. Verse 33, Sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward, for you have a need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For yet a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay, but my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their Souls, And so he tells them that, look, remember, you've gone through all this persecution. You suffered all this hardship. And the answer to all that hardship and all that persecution is faith. And that faith that you have in the Lord Jesus Christ will produce perseverance in your life. And so he sets, this, sets it up that way. And then he moves into Hebrews chapter 11 where he begins to give them example after example after example of Old Testament heroes who demonstrated that faith gave them perseverance. Now, I will say that, that what we face in America, the hostility that I described even, um, that we face in America, does not compare uh, to what our brothers and sisters in Christ across the globe face when it comes to persecution. Places like Islamic countries, communist countries, uh, where Christians are regularly and churches regularly have their property confiscated, they are beaten, Many of them are killed simply for the fact that they claim the name of Jesus Christ. But you can easily see that it seems like there are storm clouds on the horizon in our own country. And if we as the church are going to preserve the faith and are going to continue to be faithful to the Lord, we must have the faith that is described in Hebrews chapter 11. Today I want to look at verse 1, and that's as far as we're going to get. Let's read Hebrews 11, verse 1. And then over the next several weeks, we're going to work through the rest of the chapter and look at the different examples. He gives us a definition of faith in verse 1. He says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. I want us to see two characteristics this morning. The first one is this, that faith looks to the future with assurance. Looks to the future with assurance. He says, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for. His focus here is on the future. He's saying that persevering, um, that, a, that a persevering faith focuses not on the present struggles and, and the fear and the depression and the defeat that those struggles can bring, but instead focuses forward on the future, on our future hope, on our future with Christ and, and the, 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 the excitement, the assurance, the confidence that that brings. That we, we must not focus simply on the present, but we must keep our eye on the future. 
You know, we do this all the time, really. We, we, we do this, this act of, of thinking ahead to the future in order to get through the pain of the present. We do this quite often in, in ways that we might not describe as spiritual. Uh, like take, for instance, just a simple uh, kind of dumb example, but take, for instance, this. You know how when you go to the dentist and you got to get some kind of procedure done that's not going to be very fun, maybe it's a root canal, maybe it's a filling, maybe it's several fillings, maybe it's an extraction, something like that. You know how you, you, you sit down in that chair and you think to yourself, okay, this is not going to be fun. This is not going to be enjoyable at all, but I just got to endure this for one hour. I just got to endure this for 30 more minutes. I just got to endure this for 20 more minutes, for just two more minutes. Oh, they're almost done. Does anybody do that other than me? Yes, you do, right? You just say, okay, I just got to look to the future and I know what's going to be done. I just got to endure this. I'm going to get through this. I know you endure the pain of the present by looking to the future. Or another example, maybe you're a few days away from that beach vacation that you've been longing for for like six months. You know, and you're at your job and you think to yourself, I just got to endure this thing for 48 more hours. Oh my goodness, I just got to go 24 more hours. If another complaining customer comes through this door, I'm going to scream. Uh, and you just think to yourself, I cannot do it. 30 more minutes, 10 more minutes, and then you clock out, run out the door. And the whole time you've got visions of a beach chair in your mind. You're thinking about waves on the shore. You're thinking about an ocean breeze. Um, you're, just, you're looking to the future. You're, you're enduring the pain of the present by looking to the future. Now let's bring this back to the spiritual matter at hand. He says faith is the assurance of things hoped for. The assurance of something that is hoped for. Now what do we hope for as Christians? Let's, let's be reminded of that. What is it that we are hoping for? What is it that we are looking for? Well, we are hoping, first of all, for Christ's return, are we not? Titus chapter 2, verse 13 says that we are waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. We are hoping for the resurrection. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 says, According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, it tells us that we likewise will be resurrected, that we will be brought up with Him. We hope for the day that we will be glorified with Him. 1 John 3, 2 says, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him, because we, will, we shall see Him as He is. And we hope for the day that we will reign with Him. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 11 says, This saying is trustworthy. For if we have died with Him, we will also live with Him. If we endure, we will also reign with Him. If we deny Him, He will also deny us. Those are promises. And here's the best part. All those things are 100% guaranteed. God, who never lies, has promised us these things. We can have faith on those things. We don't have some kind of a faith where we say, well, I sure hope that happens. I don't know if it's really going to happen, but I'm kind of just hoping that it happens. You know, that use of the word hope? No, we have a no-so hope. That when we say, I hope for the Lord's return, we know He's coming back. When we say, I hope for the resurrection of the dead, we know it's taking place place. And here's the good news that I hope you catch today. You don't have to wait to enjoy those promises. That because of the fact that God has promised them, we are a 100% guaranteed. And so we can live today in the joy of what is coming. Theologian by the name of William Lane said this, faith gives to the objects of hope the force of present day reality. 
that yet while we look to the future, we have 100% certainty that it's coming. You know, we walk through hardship. Maybe today you're going through some kind of struggle. Maybe it's a family struggle. Maybe it's a lost job. Maybe you're moving. Maybe there's a sickness. But here's the good news. This world and all its troubles are not permanent. They're not eternal. This is not our home. I might face difficulty now, but do you know what? It's not forever. Child of God, understand this. Your future reward is more real than your present struggles. That what is coming for us is more real and more permanent than your present struggles. I heard a story like this. Back in church history, years and years, hundreds of years ago, thousands of years, maybe 1,500 years ago, there was a man who was on trial for his faith, and he had suffered great persecution, but he had told his persecutors that nothing they could ever do would shake his faith because he believed that if he was faithful to God, God would continually be faithful to him. And, And the judge questioned him like this. He says, do you really think that someone like you will go to God in his glory? And the man's response was this, I do not think, I know. That is the assurance of things hoped for. I don't know what you're facing today. I don't know what the struggle that life has laid on you today is. I don't know what your pain is. I don't know what the hardship that is on your plate at this moment. But don't let that struggle of today eclipse the hope of tomorrow. You know, it wasn't too long ago we had that solar eclipse that happened here not too far from from here. You know, we were not in the path of total eclipsality. What was it called? I don't know. (laughs) That's not the word for it, I know, is it? But uh, y'all know what I'm talking about. Some people drove up to Nashville and got to watch it, and it was really neat to see all the video. But we all know that when an eclipse happens, the sun doesn't go away, does it? No. Something just comes between us and the sun, and that being the moon. Sometimes we are going to go through hardship. We are going to go through struggles. And that struggle comes between us and our sight, our view of the hope that we have in Christ. Do not become discouraged by that. Instead, hope more in what is eternal than you do fear in what is present. J. Oswald Sanders said, Faith enables the believing soul to treat the future as present and the invisible as seen. But I want you to get this. Faith is not just something that we look to the future about. It's not just a future hope. It's also present. second point I want to make is that faith looks at the present with confidence. Confidence. second half of verse 1 says that faith is the conviction of things not seen. And his point is this, that, that we need to trust as believers that there is more going on in our world than what we can see with our physical eye. Take this, 2 Kings chapter 6. I think it's, it's going to be on the screen, so you don't need to turn there. You can look it on the screen. In 2 Kings chapter 6, the king of Syria is coming to try to capture the prophet Elisha. He's, at, he's mad at Elisha. He wants to come take him, so he sends an army down to capture the prophet Elisha. And, and on the morning that that army shows up, Elisha's servant comes out of the house and sees the armies surrounding them, and he, and he comes back in fearful. He's afraid of what's about to happen because he sees the physical reality. He sees the fact that there are all these armies surrounding them, and it's just the two of them, Elisha and the servant. 
But this is what 2 Kings chapter 6, starting in verse 15, says. It says, When the servant of the man of God, that's Elisha, rose early in the morning and went out, behold, an army with horses and chariots was all around the city. And the servant said, Alas, my master, what shall we do? He said, Do not be afraid, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Then Elisha prayed and said, O Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. And when the Syrians came down against him, Elisha prayed to the Lord and said, Please strike this people with blindness. So he struck them with blindness in accordance with the prayer of Elisha. Elisha knew he wasn't alone. He knew that though there was the armies of man surrounding him, that the army of God was greater and that God was at work in the situation. Do you realize we're not alone? That even though you walk through situations where you feel like God is not working, yes, He is. 24-7, He is at work in and around your life. And faith reminds us that even when we can't see the Lord at work, even we don't, we don't understand what He is doing, He is most definitely at work. Let me give you another example. Daniel chapter 3, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are arrested because they refuse to bow down to a golden idol. They will not do it. They are brought in before King Nebuchadnezzar and they're given one more chance. Bow down to this idol. They won't do it. And their response, I believe, is legendary. This is what they say. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace. And he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Now check this out. There is no precedent in Scripture for them to go on. I have yet to find another story in which God delivered someone from a fiery furnace. There was nothing for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to look back and say, Oh, God's done this before. He's got this. This is like, this is like the same thing that happened to Abraham. Never happened to him. Same thing that happened to Noah. Never happened to him. No, there was no precedent for them to look back on. Yet, when they looked at what was coming, when they looked at their present situation, they said to the king, Look, basically they were saying to the king, Look, our faith in God is greater than our fear of you. And we believe that God's going to work this out. And He's at work and He can save us from that fire. And even if He doesn't save us from that fire, He's still at work and we're, He's going to get the glory and it's going to be good for us because we're going to go to Him. And so, King, do what you want to do, but God's at work here and He's more powerful than you are. And what do we know? We know that it happened. Sure enough, God was there because they were thrown in the fire. And, it's, and what happened? Did they die? No. They were brought out of the fire unharmed. And it says in Scripture that there was a fourth man in that furnace. The man who I believe to be Jesus, the pre-incarnate Jesus Christ, had come there and had sheltered them from the flames. You see, faith doesn't just look forward. It doesn't only look forward with an attitude that we just got to endure, we just got to put up with this. No, faith also looks to the present and trusts that God is at work now, right here, right now, in our own situation. I had to learn this lesson the hard way. Um, you know how there's some things in life and some things in faith that you uh, um, just takes a little hard, longer for it to get through your skull? You know, you don't quite get it. You think you got it, but you know. I remember back in 2006, um, Kim and I had been married two years. Uh, we decided we wanted kids. And uh, we thought, this is going to be just, you know, 
2007, and we'll have a baby in the house. This will be no problem at all. 2007 came. 2008 came. 2009 came. No, no children. We prayed, we prayed, we prayed. We went to doctor visits. We had exams done. We were tests done. All kinds of co-pays, phone calls, tears, frustration, books, all those things. We watched our friends have babies. And uh, there were a lot of days in that season where I couldn't see the results. And so I kept thinking, God, where are you? God, why are, why, what's going on? Here I am. God, I'm a youth minister. God, why, why, can't, you, uh, why can't you give us a baby? I mean, my goodness, God, we, we see all these other people have babies and they, and they, uh, and they want to abort them. And, and we see all these other people have babies and, and they can't take care of them. And, but here, God, we're, we're praying. And, 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 uh, and I, I just, in that season of life, there were many, many days over those five years between when we, chose, when we said, hey, we would like to have children until we adopted our children in 2011. There were a lot of days, a lot of days, where I looked at God and said, God, you ain't got this. God, I don't know what you're doing. Let me tell you, it was, it was August of 2011 when we got a call from Life Choices. And I'm going to be honest. I still remember about a week or two before we got that call. I was about done. I was frustrated. I can remember thinking, God, you led us to adoption, but yet this is not working. We're waiting, we're waiting, we're waiting. And it was really, I'm not lying. I'm not making this up. I'm not, I'm not telling you a preacher story. It was really at our lowest point when God revealed that he had been at work all along. I'm not going to say that was when God showed up because he'd always been there. I just lost sight of him. I had quit remembering that he was at work right then, right there. And here's what I had to learn. Excuse me as I'm a blubbering mess now. I had to learn that, that faith is not a storm shelter that protects you from the trials of life. Not at all. Instead, it's a belief in God's love and God's faithfulness even in the most difficult points of life. It's a belief that the promises of God are real and more permanent than anything that we see in front of us. And so the point is not to ignore the present, but it's to trust God through the present. It's to be reminded that God is no child neglecter. He does not forget us. 
He does not leave us nor forsake us, His Word says. Jesus says He never lets us out of His hand. And He is always at work. You know, you might be facing some kind of hardship today. I don't know what it is, but probably you're going through something. And maybe you're thinking to yourself, where are you, God? I don't know what God's doing. How could you possibly at work here? How could you be doing anything? How could, this is not your will, God. You, you, you've got to be more powerful than this. Let me tell you, I can give you an example of a man who went through those same feelings. His name was King David. Back in Psalm chapter 22, King David wrote these words, which were quoted by Jesus on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groanings? Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. And by night I find no rest. King David, a man after God's own heart. A man who is by no means perfect, but a man who we look to in Scripture as an example of faith. He wondered where God could be. He wondered how God could allow him to go through the struggles that he was going through. But in faith, David was reminded of God's faithfulness. Same chapter, he writes this, that he, he says, For he is not despised or abhorred the afflicted, the affliction of the afflicted. And he has not hidden his face from him, but it's heard. And when he cried to him, David remembered. And so should we. That faith is not simply we pray to Jesus, we accept him as our Lord and Savior, and that's it. That faith, that saving faith, that living faith, is a faith that looks to the future. Trusting in the hope that God has for us, but also at the same time looks at the present and says, God, I know that you are walking with me today. I'm not just going to be with you down the road in eternity, but you are right here with me today. I'd like to ask every head to bow, every eye to close. I'm not sure... Like, I mentioned earlier, I'm not sure if you're going through some kind of trial right now or if maybe you've lost faith. Maybe you've lost your sense of hope. You've lost sight of the future that God has for you and you've stopped believing that God is right here with you. But maybe today you needed this reminder as much as I did this week. That faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. But the Lord is at work. Whether you recognize it or not, He is there. Child of God, do you need to pray today asking the Lord to renew your faith? Maybe you're a believer here today and your faith has begun to wane. I can promise you that what the Word of God says right here is that without faith there will be no perseverance. So maybe you need a little revitalization of your faith. But maybe you're here today and you do not know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior. And maybe you need to uh, give your heart and life to Jesus. 
place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ for salvation, to make him the Lord and Savior of your life. If that's you today, let me encourage you that when we have this time of invitation, don't hesitate, step out, come down this aisle. Allow us to talk with you about that, to explain to you what it means to give your heart and life to Jesus, how you can know that you have eternal life, that you can have this hope that I've been talking about this morning. Father God, we pray as we come to this time of invitation today that that you would move, that you would act. God, I'm asking that, that we would have the kind of faith that perseveres. keeps us pointing toward you and also points others toward you. Father, have your way in us. It's in Christ's name we do pray these things. Amen. Would you stand as we sing this song of invitation?